to lead off of, isn't it? It's a wonderful story. And you know what? We couldn't show the whole story this morning, but you can watch the rest of the story if you go to our YouTube page under Hillcrest Church, and you can watch the whole story that Cindy shared with us. It's amazing. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm excited to be here too. We are on week two of our Unmute Yourself series. And unmute yourself, it's a very common phrase from 2020, isn't it? And usually because somebody's on a video and you can see them, they're gesturing, but you can't hear them, and someone's trying to tell them, unmute yourself. But the big idea of our series is that there are things that have muted the message of Jesus coming from Christians, so that the very people that Jesus died to save are not hearing the good news. Things like our judgment, our avoidance, our indifference, and our silence. And that's what we want to address in this series. And last week, Pastor Steve kicked us off with the first week talking about unmuting yourself before God. Talking to God about your friends, your neighbors, your family, before you talk to them about God. And he taught us that we're anointed for the same things that Jesus was anointed for, to meet physical needs, spiritual needs, bring freedom, restoration, and good news. And we keep looking back through this series. We're going to keep looking back at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. And in this passage, we see a pattern that's set out when Jesus sends out his disciples with a mission. Jesus wants to come to your neighborhood, and he wants to send you out first. So let's jump into Luke 10. This is what it says um, in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. That's the speaking peace and speaking blessing that Pastor Steve talked about last week. Verse 6, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them, and if not, it will return to you. Verse 7, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. That's being present. We're going to talk about that one today. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. If we jump down to verse 9, it says, heal the sick who are there meeting their felt needs. We're going to talk about that next week. Well, I'm not. Someone else will. And then tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you, declaring the good news. So we see a pattern that's set out here. And this is what we're talking about in unmuting ourselves so that those around us who don't know Jesus, those who were similar to Cindy, can hear the story of the good news and experience for the very first time relationship with him. So... Why does God want us to be present with or spend time with those who don't know him? I'm going to share two stories from the New Testament this morning. One gives us a glimpse as to what happens when we're present with with the lost, and the other one illustrates how God can use our obedience in being present on the go. So we'll jump right in. And the first story we're going to look at comes from the book of Luke, chapter 14. Where do we find Jesus spending time with and being present with people? Well, 
We find him in homes, in the marketplace, in the synagogue, with tradespeople, out in boats, on the hillside, with crowds. I'd never really thought of this until last week, but Jesus doesn't have a home to invite people to. Have you ever thought of that? He doesn't. He's never the host, but he's always quick to be present and say yes to invitations. So he's always with people. In fact, he even invites himself over when it's Zacchaeus' turn, doesn't he? We're going to read out of Luke 14. Jesus is at a dinner at a Pharisee's house. So before we read the story, who is this Pharisee? Well, they were the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They knew all the rules, and they wanted you to know that they knew all the rules and how to follow them. And often it was done with a lot of show. So here's a Pharisee, and oftentimes the harshest words that Jesus spoke were to this very group of religious leaders. So it kind of makes you wonder, why would one of them invite Jesus over for a dinner? Well, this is kind of an interesting dynamic because it seems as though there was a bit of a social practice of these having dinners, inviting people over, was a little bit of a way to move up in society and maybe show how important you were. And well, if I can invite somebody who's a little bit more important than me, maybe they'll also bring somebody else who's a little bit more important and all look really good. And if there's a local celebrity around, well, we'll just invite them too because they'll bring somebody with them. Well, Jesus was a little bit of the local celebrity. Crowds were following him. It kind of was he was on that could-be-important list, let's invite him and see who might show up, and then I'll look really good. So that's kind of what's happening here. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, oh, and it's the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. God had given them instructions, you don't work on the Sabbath. It's a reminder for them at this point in their story that they were delivered from being slaves. Slaves don't get a day off, but they get a day off. They're supposed to be resting. On one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Let's pause for a second. Jesus often uses questions in his conversations with people. And here he is. He's testing the religious leaders by forcing them to choose between following the letter of the law, which says no work on Sabbath, and it was very specific, and an act of compassion and healing. And the religious leaders just freeze. Verse 4, but they remain silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you had a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say because they knew Jesus was right. They knew they would only consider breaking the rule of the Sabbath and working if it would benefit them. If their precious child was hurt, they would break the Sabbath and help them. If their valuable animal fell into the well, they'd rescue it because they had something to lose. They had a double standard when it came to compassion, and he saw it, and he pointed it out in front of everybody because there was no compassion for the sick man. Oh, And don't even get me started about the double standard, about them holding their feast on the Sabbath, because somebody's out in the kitchen getting that feast ready, right? And they're maybe working, or maybe it was a leftovers dinner. Anyways, verse 7, Jesus notices how the guests pick the places of honor at the table, and he tells them this story. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, 
don't take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host that invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of the other guests. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow, he's telling these social climbers, look, God is rich enough to repay you. They wanted to look good. That would be their repayment. He's saying, you don't even need to worry about it. God can take care of it. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And we're going to stop the story there, but actually Cindy's story about the lost sheep, Jesus is going to tell that story in the next chapter here. Cindy didn't know that when she told her story. Um, that, That comes right after this. So what does being present or spending with time with others lead to? Let's look at that. Well, according to this, being present leads to being watched. Jesus was being watched. People were observing how he would interact with others. Now, it might sound really negative to you to say, well, I don't want to spend time with people if they're going to watch me. But look, if we're living life out of an abundance of God's love and a knowledge that he has saved us and loves us, why wouldn't we want someone to watch? Maybe it's the first time they'll actually experience somebody acting in compassion or speaking a word of blessing or kindness. You never know. So when you're present, you might be watched. Being present also leads us to seeing felt needs. And that's for next week. We're not going to go too deep into that. But when we pay attention in conversation, in observing, we can do what Jesus does. Jesus changes this gathering from a place of sort of trying to find your status and look important. He changes it from that to a place of healing. What a shift. Because he sees the need And then he responds to it. Being present leads us to conversation. And not every conversation is a gospel conversation, right? It just isn't. So if we, as followers of Jesus, want to be in gospel conversations, we need to be part of a lot of conversations. It just works that way. Being present also leads us to understanding the culture and the priority and the values of those we spend time with. Jesus notices what's important to them when he sees people vying for the most important spots. He notices it. It gives him insight into what's valuable to them. You know, in the last five, six years, we've been on a wonderful journey with newcomers to Canada in our community. And this piece has been so important, being present to give little glimpses of understanding about what they value, what's important, how their world works. It's really important. Being present and spending time with people gives us an opportunity to come humbly 
It was interesting in our staff devotions this week when we read this passage. Um, Pastor Kurt had said, "Where do you, when you imagine the story, where do you imagine Jesus sat down when he came into the room? Maybe he sat at the lowest place, and that's why the guy who needed to be healed was right across from him. Of course, Pastor Chris said, well, maybe he healed the guy so that he could have his spot because he needed a spot at the table. We have great staff discussions at devotion time. Have you thought of it, though? Maybe Jesus had sat at the lowest place. We have an opportunity to come humbly, and I think that we do, because if we're coming with an open heart and open hands, we can learn so much from other people, can't we? But we may never have done it if we didn't spend the time and focus on being present with them. When God shifts our hearts in this area of choosing to be present with the lost, we become open to inviting those who cannot repay us, just like Jesus said in his story. God's resources are enough to pay you back. Maybe you think, well, it's not, not that he needs to pay me back like financially, but maybe you're feeling a little worried about your time or your energy. God's resources are enough to pay you back for those too. As I was thinking about this in the last couple of weeks, I was thinking about how does all of this fit with what we've been learning in Believe? Because we started this long series of Believe, going through the foundational beliefs of followers of Jesus. We started back in September, and we went through all these core beliefs first, before Christmas, after Christmas, we jumped back in, and we were talking about the core practices, what do I do? And after Easter, we're going to jump in for the last 10 weeks that are talking about who am I becoming as I follow Jesus. Well, here's where I see that this fits with things we've been talking about for months. In the key beliefs area, what do I believe as a Christian? If I believe in a personal God, Cindy mentioned that, that was her life group topic when it hit her so hard. If I believe that God is involved in and cares about my daily life, logic would say he also cares about your daily life and other people's. He cares about them too. And if he's If he's at work in my daily life, if I believe that, then he actually can nudge me to be obedient and respond to him in the moment. It has to do with our views on humanity. If I believe all people are loved by God and need Jesus as their Savior, then I'll reach out to them with the message. It's not just for me. It's for everyone. And in this key practices area, and this is the part we've been going through in the new year, it has to do with total surrender, dedicating my life to God's purposes. If he wants to restore relationship with all humanity, he's got a plan for us to be part of that. Biblical community, fellowshipping with others, inviting other people to experience biblical community. community. That was part of Cindy's story too, wasn't it? Just kind of saying these people were just not judging me. They were just loving me. And it was an amazing part of her experience offering my time, investing my time to fulfill God's purposes. They're all things that we've been talking about for months, and this is part of the practical side of what does it look like when we put them into practice. Let's talk a little bit more about Cindy's story. It was such an amazing story, and once again, go to the YouTube channel and listen to the whole thing. You'll get to hear more at the end especially. One of the things that I loved about listening to Cindy tell her story was that there in the background, we were hearing part of Sherry Hansen's story of how, as a follower of Jesus, she was following simple prompts of the Holy Spirit to reach out. Did you catch that in the story? 
Now, I asked Karen before um, service started this morning how they had decided which story would be shared on which week, and the Lord just arranged all that because it was really just had to do with whose schedule was available to come in and film. Well, that was very much so a God thing because the things that Cindy tells in her story are such a wonderful illustration of what we're talking about today. So here's Sherry with her granddaughters at swimming, and here's Cindy with her daughters at swimming. They enter into conversation. It's as simple as that. It leads to an invitation to the park for a play date. We go on talking about life, Cindy said. And here's some of the things that Cindy um, told us about her experience on, from her side of it. She said, the more I got to know Sherry, the more I knew she wouldn't judge me. She asked me if she could pray with me. I had never heard anyone talk to Jesus like that. She was watching. She was listening. It's, it was amazing, really amazing to experience the sense of community. Sherry asked if I'd go to church with her. Sherry asked if I wanted to join a life group. You know, all these things didn't happen in one conversation, did they? No, they didn't. They met a couple of years ago, and God was at work. But they happened over time. Cindy was telling the story. But did you see how Sherry was just present? She was present. She was listening to the Holy Spirit as he led her, and she was obedient. And, you know, we've said this before, but it's so worth saying again that when you listen to the Holy Spirit and obey, that is success. Let him decide what the outcome is. That's not part of the job he's asking you to do. Obedience is success. A couple of other things that really jumped out to me when Cindy told her story was about the life group session, about the personal God, and that that wasn't how she pictured him, but something started to shift, and that it was a place where she could be open and honest. And now you didn't hear this part of the story, you'll have to go listen to it later, because it got edited out. But later on, Cindy is in a rough season, and she ends up in the hospital. And after she gets out of the hospital, people from her the life group and other people that know them that are followers of Jesus are really supporting her and helping, and she says... They did this, and they expected nothing in return. It amazed her. It kind of sounds like what Jesus was just talking about. And in the end, she says, I don't want a religion. I want a relationship, and that's exactly what I have. Isn't it amazing? Jesus is in the business of restoring relationships, restoring our relationship with him, and restoring our relationship with one another. That's why God wants us to be present with the lost. He wants us to be present because it provides the opportunity to show unconditional acceptance by welcoming our neighbors or others the way that they are instead of the way that maybe we wish they were. (laughs) That was part of Cindy's story as well. It's about listening And when we listen, we start to hear about the pain and the brokenness in their lives. Spending time with them leads us to identify those felt needs that God can use us to meet and that we can be involved in praying for. Most of the time, this is a gradual process. It might spread out over weeks, months, even many years, little bits at a time. But the small steps that the Holy Spirit prompts us to take are not done in a vacuum, and they gain momentum as we go along. And here's the amazing part. We often think that God is only at work on our side. He's nudging, he's pushing, he's leading, he's prompting. 
but we totally forget that he's all at work in the other person's side. And we saw that in this story. Sherry didn't know all these things that were going on in Cindy's background and in her mind and everything. God was at work on both sides. His promptings are not random. They're strategic because he knows the whole story. Did you hear that in this story? He'd been working for a long time in Cindy's heart. He knew just the right time for these women to meet so that Sherry could be invited into the process of what God was doing in restoring relationship with Cindy. It's amazing. He was building up for powerful transformation, but he was also using Sherry's simple acts of obedience at each step. We're going to show a short little video clip because I think it just illustrates this idea that as we're obedient in the little things, God prompts us to step out in faith in just slightly bigger thing, just a little bit larger. And that's very biblical. If you're entrusted, if you're faithful with little things, he'll um, entrust you with bigger things. And after we go from little, a little bit bigger, it ends up resulting in something that we could never have dreamed of because of the power of God in the process. Um, We could never have imagined on that first day, and we would never have probably attempted it on the first day if we could already see the end effect. So let's watch our domino effect. It's one minute. Everybody knows about playing with dominoes, but what you may not know is that a domino can knock over another domino, which is about one and a half times larger. So what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. Ready? Boom. That was 13 dominoes. If I had 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State Building. Isn't that amazing? Tiny little acts of obedience. God can use them in increasing measure. If you think about that in a spiritual realm, if you think about that in the area of transforming our lives, our communities, our neighborhoods, our city, our province, the country, what does the Lord have in store with starting with simple acts of obedience? Now, I promised a second story, and to me, this one, I love this story, is what being present can look like when it's quick and on the go, because sometimes it involves a lot of investment of time, but sometimes we just need to be very open to the Holy Spirit's interruption into our day and be willing to act in obedience. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 8. And this story is happening after Jesus has died. He's already risen back to life. He's sent out his followers on a mission. And then he's returned to heaven. And this story happens to Philip, who was one of the disciples and had been with him for three years. And now is off on the mission that Jesus has sent them on. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go, go south to the road the desert road that goes down to Jerusalem in Gaza. 
So he started out. He listens and he obeys. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch and an important official who was in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. It may have been more exercise than Philip realized he was going to do that morning. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. He's attentive. He's observant. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks. He opens the conversation. How can I, the official said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip says yes to the invitation. Hops into the hops into the carriage. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like sheep like a sheep to the slaughterer, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? It's Isaiah 53. The eunuch asked Philip, I t- please tell me, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Philip must have, as part of telling him about Jesus, told him, that's what a follower of Jesus does, is get baptized. So he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is going to teletransport you or whatever from here to Regina and Saskatoon and back. Maybe he would choose to do that, but let's look at what, the, what Philip does in the story in response, in quick obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and how that turns out. So he's listening to the Spirit and obeying. On his way, he meets the official. The Spirit didn't tell him, you're going to meet an official. He just said, take this road, go this way. And so Philip did. Then on the way, he, he meets the man. The spirit tells Philip, go up, stay close to that chariot. So he does, even though it couldn't have been comfortable, no matter how slow that chariot was going to run alongside it. He notices what the man is doing and reading, and he asks a related question. The official invites Philip up. He responds to the invitation. Notice that the Holy Spirit is already at work in this official. Look what he's reading. It's a setup. He's totally been set up. He's reading something. He's he's got questions. Questions are happening. And here, the Holy Spirit brings along someone who can answer the question. And Philip begins right where the official is reading and just goes from there. And then the Holy Spirit takes Philip on to the next encounter. Philip is practicing listening prayer. He's hearing the Holy Spirit. He's obeying. He's observant. He's watching for an opportunity. He's making the first move in conversation, and he uses a question, which is great, not just a comment. Oh, I see you're reading. Well, that could be the end of the conversation. What are you reading? Oh, that opens up the conversation. And then he follows the leads from there. He jumps at the chance. What a wonderful picture of what it looks like to bless and be on call. It's not always about spending big chunks of time with people over a long period of time. It can be, but it also means being available to them in moments. And I actually think that right now in this season where hosting looks different and extracurricular activities aren't all happening, 
God wants to use those on-the-go opportunities more and more. So watch for them. God is challenging you and he's challenging me to be present with others as we go about life, as we go to get groceries, as we go to appointments, as we go to work, as we go to school, to our kids' activities, as we come and go, literally come and go out of our house watching who's there and being alert to an opportunity to speak with them. I want to give you some action steps to exercise this muscle. Maybe with the spring-like weather coming, we've all felt like we need to get out and move more. Well, here's a way that we can have some spring exercise for these muscles of being ready to be on call for God to use us. I'm going to give you seven things. Number one, set your own labels aside. You say, but I'm an introvert, I'm shy, I'm busy, I'm old, I'm poor. Whatever your label is that you've decided, you can't do it because, listen, God's not just calling extroverts or the retired into his mission. He knows how he made you. He knows your circumstances, and still he invites you into his kingdom plan. It will not be a burden. It will be a joy as you respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting because remember, it's not in a vacuum. It's strategic. So set your own labels aside. Number two, practice saying yes. That sounds really simple. It is. Just practice saying yes to invitations or opportunities to connect. If somebody says, hey, maybe we should go for a walk, say yes, we should, and set the time to go do it instead of just saying, yeah, that's a good idea, and then never doing it. Just practice following through with that yes. Be present instead of withdrawing. The muted you wants to withdraw. But God wants you to move forward. Set your labels aside. Practice saying yes. And then, when you get used to saying yes a few times, practice offering opportunities to connect. Maybe you send the first text or email, or you make the first call, or you can make... We can get to a place where we make connecting with people so complicated because we want everything to be perfect, the perfect day, the perfect time, the house clean, which that's really been wonderful news, hasn't it, in the lockdown, that nobody's coming over, so you don't have to clean your house. Um, I'm just confessing that. You can come over, but it is messy. Um, We can set the bar too high, and then it'll just never happen, right? So make it as simple as possible. Simple hospitality. Remember, Jesus had no home to invite people to, and he still found a way to be present with them. So find some common ground. Maybe go for a walk or join something that they're doing. Eat lunch with your coworkers. Have an outdoor gathering. Whatever you need to do. Number four, make a list of names to adopt in prayer and then be alert to connecting with them. And I guarantee you, once you start praying for that list of names, you will automatically become more alert to connecting with them. If you've been praying for them and you see them across the grocery store, you'll find a reason to go in that direction instead of that direction because you're curious as to what the Holy Spirit's been doing since you've been praying for them. And he's just getting your heart ready. So make a list, even one or two people, and be praying for them and then pray for those opportunities. Number five, prioritize the relationship, not the activity. It's not so important what you spend time doing. Maybe you're not even interested in what they're interested in, but you're willing to spend time with them doing it. It's not about the activity. It's about the person that you're with. So focus on that. Don't be worried about, well, should I say yes? I don't know. Do I really want to go and do that? Just say yes. Be with the person if the Holy Spirit's prompting you to be with them. Number six, be alert to the Holy Spirit's nudges and respond quickly in obedience. 
Talk to the Holy Spirit in that moment before you go, as you go, as you're driving or walking towards them, pray for them. As you're driving or walking away from them, pray for them. Bless them. Pray for wisdom. Ask to be alert to whatever opportunity he would have for you. Pray afraid. You can pray for more love for them, not less fear. Thank you, Jess Weiberg. That's such a great line. Pray for more love. Not that I won't be afraid, but that I will love them more, be drawn towards them. And number seven, eagerly anticipate the next step in the process. It's exciting. You're following the trail that the Holy Spirit is giving you. You don't know what's coming next. And that's an exciting thing because he knows and he sees your story and he sees their story and how he wants to connect them. I think it's time that we should pray. So we're going to wrap up by praying this morning. And there's two areas that I would like to lead us in. The first one, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe as you think about the idea of being present with people who don't know Jesus and spending time with them, maybe you say, well, yeah, of course, I am withdrawing. I relate to the avoidance and withdrawal tactics because I'm really good at them. I just don't want to, or I feel the nudges of the Holy Spirit, and I just don't respond very quickly. That won't be all of us, but it could be some of us. If that's you, if you can relate to that, then I think this morning would be a wonderful time for us to just have a short prayer to repent and confess, and to say, Lord, I want to start again, clean slate, start again. I want to cooperate with you in this. So if that's you, if you, if you relate to that, would you pray with me? Dear Father, I confess that I have been avoiding or withdrawing from people that you've prompted me to reach out to. I repent. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Today, Lord, I choose to cooperate with you as you lead me to be present with others so that they might also know your love and salvation. Thank you, Lord, for fresh starts. Amen. Maybe you also want to spend some time today asking the Lord, who do you want me to be present with today? Or this week, if he gives you a nudge, make a note, make a time, send a text, send an email, whatever you need to do. Practice in the moment, obeying in the moment. Now, I realize that not everybody here, not everybody that's joining us online is a follower of Jesus. And maybe that's you today. And when you heard Cindy's story, something inside you just leapt. And you were just like, maybe you haven't even heard the rest of it. That's fine. But you heard that story and you said, I want that. I want what she has. I want to start that journey with Jesus. And you can do that today. You really can. It's as simple as opening up your heart to him. And there are no magic words for that. But if you're not used to praying or talking to him, you might pray something like this. You could pray this with me today and start your journey with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you that you love me. 
and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and shame. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you started your journey with us today by saying yes to Jesus, we'd love to talk to you more about it. And hey, we could baptize you too. We just heard about that. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, Daisy, for that word. So practical and inspirational at the same time. Anyone got inspired this morning by anything that you experienced in this service? Just give me a wave. I know I did. Uh, there's lots of, I took lots of notes too. Lots of just great uh, statements that I think really uh, ring true. The one that hit me early was unconditional acceptance. And it's sort of a little bit of a callback to last week's sermon. But it's something I need to almost hear in my life every week. Right, and we we're naturally uh, prone to you know ca- categorize people by their behavior and not see them as uh, potential children of God, which is exciting. And I love that part about the Pharisees too. You know, they they would have pulled their own kid out of the well, but yet they didn't see how valuable other people were. And I just that's really hit me too. Like just to see the people in my neighborhood and my spheres of influence or influence as somebody's kid that should be pulled out of the well and should be cared for and loved uh, and brought to Jesus. So incredible word this morning. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for coming out. You're sort of here on a historic Sunday. I'm hoping and praying that this is the last Sunday of only 30. And so you are here for it. So there's t-shirts at the back. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But thanks for being here for this Sunday. And uh, next Sunday... We're going to have uh, a much bigger crowd. And uh, we, again, as you're tracking through this Unmute Yourself series, if you continue to track through this, I pray for you that God would do a work on the inside. That If there's been sort of things that have been static and unchanged in your approach or in uh, things that have caused you to be muted in your ability to communicate what, who God is, what he's done for you, and what he can do for someone else, I pray that that would that you come off mute in these next few day, next few weeks, and that there be a key maybe maybe you got one this morning a key that would just unlock it for you where you go oh that's what I needed to hear that was the tipping point where I went from mute to beginning to speak words of life to people around me. I pray for you one more time. Lord, would you bless the ones who are here this morning? Would you bless them this week? Would you bless them in every way? I pray they'd have health. I pray they'd, have, they'd be effective at what they do. I pray that they'd have good relationships. I pray that they'd, um, they'd uh, give and receive love. And Lord, I pray that this word that's been planted, this seed, that I, find it, I pray that it'd be good, it would find good soil in our hearts and that you'd take some of the things that we've heard this morning um, and you'd uh, turn them into action in our lives, turn them into a different posture in our hearts, uh, turn them into a different uh, understanding about who we are and how you want to use us in this day. And Lord, let our faith grow. 
Let our faith grow. Uh, even if it's just tiny, like a t- tiny seed right now, we pray it would turn into something much more as we take those baby steps of following you and trusting the nudges that you give us to engage with others. Yeah, lead and guide us this week, we pray in your name. Before you leave this morning, we do have prayer teams. We will have a prayer team up here to pray with you. If you want prayer, just come and, uh, and, and uh, take advantage of that, whatever's going on in your world, even if it's not about what the sermon was this morning. We love to pray with you if you've got an area of need in your life, and so don't miss that opportunity. So God bless you, and have an incredible week.